Hi, I'm Maduni Krishnan, editor of Airline Weekly, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. This podcast is the audio from our weekly live streaming interview series, which we air every Monday at noon Eastern at forum.skiff.com. Join us for the weekly live stream. We'll take your questions live on air. And if, of course, if you prefer audio, we'll always be podcasting the Airline Weekly Lounge at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge live live stream, <laughs> which is kind of a mouthful. Um, I'm your host, Madhuni Krishnan, the editor of Airline Weekly, and I'm joined today by my colleague and friend, Jay Shabbat. Airline Weekly senior analyst and co-founder, co-founded it way back in 2004. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about this week's feature story, among other things. And I have to apologize. There's some work going on in my house right now. So there's a lot of uh, background noise. Uh, it wouldn't be 20. It wouldn't be audio or video in 2020 without, without cats and background noise and straight children running into the shots. So I apologize in advance, but I hope you understand. So Jay, this week's feature story was about Singapore Airlines. And, you know, when I think back on the pre-pandemic Singapore Airlines, not, you know, not that long ago, there, there are few airline brands that were so associated with luxury and just premium travel from, you know, the, the hard product, the sumptuous hard product, the luxurious lounges, the route network for that was geared towards intercontinental business travel, even, you know, the flight attendants, their Pierre Balmain, uh, um, uh, uniforms from the 60s, uh, you know, the, it's just their advertising campaign, everything about that airline was luxury and premium. And the pandemic hit, this is an airline with, we'll get to this, and I want you to talk further on this, this is an airline with basically no domestic, with absolutely no domestic market. Um, and overnight, it's business travel, um, bread and butter just sort of collapsed. What what can you give us the state of play with Singapore? Like, what, what, where is it now, and um, just how grim is it for for this, you know, premium airline? Right. No, you just you describe the situation very well. Singapore Airlines is, um, you know, one, one of the most uh, premium oriented airlines in the world, and, and not just premium, but intercontinental premium. So, a lot of their traffic is uh, a lot of their their their, their money making happens on routes, for example. Uh, or itineraries between uh, Asia and North America, mm -hmm. Australia and North America, um, China to India. I mean, it's just a, just a lot of uh, cross continental uh, globe trotting people, you know, paying paying big bucks uh, to sit in uh, first class seats and business class seats and for the lounge access. And all. So as we know, this uh, this um, market segment is is perhaps the worst hit of any in this crisis. So Singapore Airlines really is um, in a tough situation. Now they do have some mitigating factors. Um, they do have a big cargo business mm -hmm. and uh, cargo happens to be doing very well right now. The yields are, um, if not the volumes, are, are really through the roof. So but Singapore Airlines- Let me stop you there. I mean, the cargo business though is not sort of Korean and ASEANA enough to push it into profits, right? That's correct, right? So Singapore Airlines, they did lose money last quarter. The, their margins were, if you compare all the airlines in the world, all the all the major passenger airlines, Singapore Airlines, the, their operating margins were um, were negative, but but relatively mild compared to uh, the industry average because of the cargo. But you're right; it's not a, it's not a Korean Air or you know China Airlines situation right. where they actually earned money. They, they they did not; they actually made a loss. 
but um, but but it helps uh, to have that cargo. Um, they do have a low cost carrier called Scoot. Now, because as you mentioned, Madhu, the the Singapore there is no domestic market in Singapore; it's all international. So the, there's been um, much of the airlines remain shut down. I mean, there's just not a lot of operating right now. I think just as recently as um, I can't remember if it was July or August when they when they the last numbers that they produced. But uh, but traffic was still down, you know, in excess of ninety five percent. So there, there's just there's not a lot of passenger activity going on right now. Um, so and that's true even even for Scoot, the low cost carrier. Now now if we look forward, um, you know, is, is is Scoot perhaps part of the answer to digging Singapore Airlines out of the, the current mess? Maybe because you know that obviously as a low cost carrier, they're not going to depend so much on premium. Um, they actually do do some intercontinental, but but not it's it, it's mostly even the long haul stuff, which is uh, undertaken with triple sevens, older triple sevens. Um, it's big aircraft, but even some of that stuff goes intra Asia. You know, they might fly at Singapore, Japan, things like that. So that that could be part of um, the sort of the ladder ladder out of the hole, uh, so to speak. Um, and uh, the but but it is. I mean that's. Let's face it; it is a um, it's an airline that's uh, overall group wide very heavily dependent on premium intercontinental. And let's pause there for a second. I mean, there there are few airlines in the world that have they're in Singapore's position with absolutely no domestic market. I mean, I, Cathay is probably one that comes to mind, having no domestic market. Even you know, even um, uh, even KLM. I mean, at least if you count Schengen as domestic. I mean, if if you could. Mm-hmm. Um, right. They have some domestic markets to speak of. The British carriers do, uh, but Cathay, Singapore, there there are not many airlines that are that just at such a disadvantage with this this right, like an Emirates or you know yeah. these yeah these airlines based in, in, in small almost almost city state like right. uh, and even um, Emirates. I mean, you could sort of say intra UAE flights are a domestic market, but. Singapore has nothing. I mean, it's 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 the size. It's a fraction of the size of New York City, right. in terms of geographic area. Mm-hmm. So sorry. To, uh, so keep going. Like wait, what? Um, so uh, what? You mentioned Scoot, but what about uh, is, now? Singapore was on track to shutter Silk Air, right? It's Silk Air subsidiary. Yeah. So so Silk Air was that's uh, been around for a long time. The um, the Silk Air was the um, part of the group that was uh, responsible for flying narrow body aircraft. So Singapore Airlines, the, the, the mainline Singapore branded um, carrier only flies wide body planes. Um, so Silk Air was, um, they were flying, uh, oh, they still are flying 737s. Uh, I think they still have A320s. Um, they were a lot of maxes, I think. So that, that is um, what they decided to do um, a year or two ago was uh, just kind of phase that out. It was confusing, you know, why, why have the extra brand? Um, so they're going to brand it all Singapore Airlines. What they were also going to do is take those 737s and A320s and actually put lie flat seats in them, mm. um, which is un- rather unusual yeah. for a narrow body. Usually you think of lie flat seats being wide body type products, but they're actually going to, the, the idea is that if someone buys a ticket from say Bangkok to Los Angeles and they're connecting through Singapore, well, that Bangkok, uh, Singapore leg, that initial leg, will be on the, the narrow body. And that person, um, again, these are you know very premium customers that Singapore Airlines is catering to. Well, that person would be able to sit in a lie flat seat even on that short haul part of their journey. Hmm. Now, you know, that decision, maybe they, 
they probably wouldn't have taken that decision today because of you know what's what the forecast uh, being so bleak for for um, that kind of premium travel. Um, but that that's sort of the state of Silk Air. It's as far as I know, they're still you know going to phase it out. Hmm. And um, and so what is Scoot a possible sort of life preserver for uh, for Singapore? Yeah, I mean, the thing about Scoot is that it never really made money. Um, it lost money last year. Um, it's, uh, you, you know, it's, it's the, the big problem is, is low cost, um, flying low cost within Asia. It's, it's an extremely competitive marketplace. So it's almost, <laughs> it reminds me almost of like the U.S., you know, around the time of 9-11, right after 9-11, um, where, you know, you just had, JetBlue and Southwest and AirTran, just all these low-cost carriers all over the place. It's kind of like that in Asia now. I mean, if you just think about Southeast Asia alone, what we call the ASEAN region, um, you know, it's Thailand has four or five low-cost carriers right. and Indonesia has, you know, Lion Air and, and AirAsia is all over the place. So it's very competitive. So Scoot, you know, like I mentioned before, maybe it is. I mean, maybe that's the best of bad alternatives right now because you don't need the premium traffic. Um but it's, you know, is, is it an, is it, how good of an answer is it? Um, we'll have to see, but, but that they may, the company may decide to expand uh, that a little faster than they do the actual mainline product. And you see this elsewhere. I mean, one of the things we mentioned um, in, in our article uh, is that uh, Air France is, is doing this as well with their low cost carrier Transavia. They're kind of giving more responsibility, more assignments to to it because of the uh, you know the market conditions today. So, Scoot, is it an answer? It's 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 an answer. <laughs> I, other potential answers. I mean, Singapore has its uh, has many irons in the fire around Asia um, in terms of joint ventures. Um, are, are some of those uh, potential life preservers or, or what weighs out for, for the airline? Uh, I, th I think your cat said it best. But... Uh, yes, there, there is a cat fight occurring behind me right now. I hate to... <laughs> well, uh, our cats, our cats are in the same family as tigers, right? So we'll go to uh, India, which is sometimes yes. uh, tiger, the metaphor for India. Um, and, and in India, they do, Singapore Airlines does have a joint venture called, called Vistara. And uh, yeah, Singapore Airlines does um, uh, have high hopes for um, for developing that. Uh, but yeah, interestingly enough, there's um, their joint venture partner for Vistara is uh, called the Tata Group. That's they're based in India. It's a, a giant conglomerate. They've been around for forever. Um, the Tata Group is now interested, perhaps, in buying Air India, right. which and they actually also owned part of Air Asia India. So I don't know what that means. You know, they, when they buy Air India, what does that mean for Vistara? There were some reports in some Indian newspapers um, just in the past couple of days that Singapore is not happy huh, about taking interest in Air India. That's, uh, you know, that, that may be disputed. But India, yes, India has always been an important uh, kind of, you know, future market for Singapore when they think about the future. Uh, China, of course, right. as well. Very important. They never actually... Um, they've come close a couple of times to buying, uh, investing in a Chinese airline. Um, that may be, you know, an option in the future, but, uh, no obvious candidates, hmm. but, sh but certainly, you know, again, they don't have a domestic market. So when you think about, you know, if you're the, if you're thinking, if you're, if you're an executive at Singapore Airlines and you're thinking, you know, what's, what's the ticket out of this mess, or even just, even when times are good, you know, how do we make, why do we maximize our profits? 
you're thinking India, you're thinking China, you're thinking Australasia, mm. you're thinking North America, and then you're thinking at home within the ASEAN region. And one of the things, you know, we talked about in the article that we wrote is um, the ASEAN region is ripe for consolidation because of all the low-cost carriers right. I mentioned, and just even non-low-cost carriers. Um, you know, if you're an optimist, as rough as things are for Singapore Airlines, you know, it's rough for everybody right now. Yeah. So it's kind of a game, you know, who's going to fall the, who's going to fall the, the worst, you know, who's going to be, who's going to be, uh, um, you know, every, just think of, you know, everybody's falling off a cliff, but someone's going to hit the ground first. Right. And so it's Singapore Airlines, uh, some of their rivals are actually in worse shape. You know, if you think about a Thai Airways, which is bankrupt and Malaysia Airlines is a mess, even AirAsia is having all sorts of, you know, problems. So Singapore Airlines may be able to um, find opportunity in, in that situation. Right. And I mean, you know, things are bad. I mean, Singapore uh, recently uh, said it was eliminating more than 4,000 jobs, some, a mix of layoffs and attrition, um, just eliminating the positions. Um, the layoffs were kind of shocking, um, but it also benefited from a significant amount of government aid early in the pandemic. Um, do, uh, it's inconceivable to me that the government of Singapore would let the airline collapse completely, right? I mean, that. Uh, do you think there could be more aid coming to, to the airline? Yeah, no, they're not going to let it collapse because it's so instrumental in the, uh, the economy there. I mean, aviation is a, um, it's, it's central to, to, to the way that city and country function. So, they, um, it is a government-owned airline too, mm. um, and it's you know it's never been a, a drain on on taxpayers or anything like that. I mean, right now it can be, but that's you know probably just a temporary situation. So no, I, I don't think there's anybody in Singapore that's uh, you know it is not South Africa where it's saying well well should we keep it should we let it go right. because you know there are huge trade offs there. The trade offs are just not that you know they're just not that big. So no, Singapore Airlines it'll it's it's not going anywhere. Right. Well, speak, yeah. so speaking to shift gears a little bit, speak, and speaking of government aid, um, we're, we've got quite a little debate going on here in the U.S. about uh, government aid and a, a very a looming deadline that's coming up. Um, so on um, on October first, which is actually just three days away, um, tens of thousands of or up to a hundred thousand airline. In industry employee uh, workers could face furloughs or layoffs, permanent layoffs, as the um, federal payroll support program through the CARES Act expires on September 30th. Now, airlines and their unions have been very, very active in the last 10 days lobbying Congress um, and the, the White House uh, to extend this payroll support program. Um, I don't know, Jay, or what are you hearing about about uh, where that's going. Yeah, well, I think, I think we've written in Airline Weekly, um, you've reported some good stuff about, uh, you know, where it stands. And, and, and I think there seems to be some uh, broad support um, uh, from both political parties to, to provide airlines with, with the aid. But uh, it's, it's, it's just not, it hasn't, it hasn't come yet. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, the, the, the time is ticking. So I don't know if you've heard anything new about that since um, we published last night. Yeah, well, so the Speaker of the House of Representative, Nancy Pelosi, is said to be um, working on a new, after Shelby, you know, the House passed another 
after the CARES Act in March passed another bill um, for $3.2 trillion of, uh, or, or of um, maybe $2 trillion. I might, I might be off by a trillion. Anyway, a very large bill for called the HEROES Act for more coronavirus aid that did not contain more aid for the airline industry. Of course, this was only like a month and a half after the CARES Act passed. That's been languishing in the Senate and it's sort of the, um, the negotiations between the White House and Congress and specifically between Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and um, Speaker Nancy Pelosi just stalled all summer. There was there was a feeling that the economy was coming back. There was probably no need for um, for more aid. Um, and so it just kind of languished. Now with this deadline looming and sort of some of the larger macroeconomic numbers looking pretty grim or not trending the right direction, um, Pelosi is said to be um, pushing another, starting talks again with, with Mnuchin and pushing another bill. Now, it's unclear to me. I've heard that uh, that there might be more airline aid in this this next bill. The White House seems to be on board. Um, President Trump has said he might uh, address the issue with through executive action, but whether, I mean, it's an appropriation, so it's doubtful that, that um, I mean, it's certain that Congress has to get involved. So it all remains unclear. But, you know, as we were talking about when you and I were just uh, gossiping earlier, like uh, there's only, I'm, I'm looking at a calendar, there's only uh two days before September 30th um, to pass more aid. And to those of you who know Washington, I mean, that's really, that's not, that's no time at all. I mean, and you've got Congress busy with, an, uh, the Senate is occupied with a um, Supreme Court vacancy created by the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. There's an election looming there's still, even though there's bipartisan support for airline aid, there's still not a lot of buy-in for more coronavirus aid. So I don't, I don't know. I, I basically, that was a very long-winded way of saying, I don't know. Uh, Doug Parker, uh, the CEO of American was on the news this weekend to say that, uh, that he, he was fairly confident there would be more aid, but I don't, I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah, I think we're all just waiting. The industry's just waiting and, and seeing. And, you know, the argument is, I guess, from the, you know, the U.S. airlines are saying that uh, we, uh, you know, we got six months of aid. We thought that demand would be, would be back by now because we thought that, you know, the virus would be under better control. But but it's it, it's still, you know, just it's just it's still a terrible situation where we, uh, you know, we just we're only flying some cases, you know, 20, 30% of our schedule. So we just, uh, that we have no other choice but to uh, lay off all these workers. Um, and we would have, you know, we would have done it earlier if it wasn't for the, uh, the you know, the first round of aid. So oh. the argument is that we'll, uh, you know, give us six more months of aid and by the spring, hopefully then, you know, we'll be closer to a vaccine, maybe the therapy, you know, there might be some, you know, treatments, therapeutics that, that uh, advances, that allow traffic to come back. Maybe, you know, the, when you start getting into the, um, the early parts of 2021, um, you, you get into the peak season in places like Florida, Arizona, which, you know, maybe you can generate some cash because what airlines will tell you, you know, with all the non-labor cost cutting, um, they don't add cheap fuel. 
they don't really need a full recovery. You know, you don't need 2019 demand levels for them to be at least cash positive. So now Scott Kirby, the CEO of United, said some two things that were rather interesting at the Skiff Global Forum last week. He said um, he expects United to be about 45 percent of the size it was um, at the end of last year through till there's a vaccine, which he thinks won't occur until vaccine is widely distributed. He doesn't think that will occur until the end of 2021. Um, yet he's also lobbying for, uh, he's among those lobbying for six months of additional payroll support, which really takes us through March 31st of uh, 2020, 2021. So then there you have, to, I mean, he was asked, uh, so what is, you know, if, if you expect to be half the size that you were, then why do you need all those employees through, um, on the, you know, have the, have the federal tax, have the U.S. taxpayer on the hook for all those additional employees. Um, and he said uh, that uh, he believes the, uh, by April, they will know better what the, what the picture is with the vaccine and how demand, as you said, how demand is returning. But there is a growing chorus of folks who say exact, who are wondering exactly that, like is, is, taxpayer money best used to support an industry that expects to be half the size it was. I mean, it, it's a, it's a tough, not, there's no right answer. I don't know what the answer is. It's not my place to say, but it is a question that is being raised. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, there's certainly uh, different schools of thought on uh, airline industry aid in, in particular, and, and just, you know, just the broader question of how much the government should, the federal government should be responsible for uh, sort of bridging the gap um, between, uh, you know, uh, until bridging the gap until the time when, when we have a vaccine and when, when the economy can, can start going again, um, you know, and, and different countries have, uh, I think, I think pretty much it's, it's been pretty much universal around the world with a few exceptions, you know, maybe in Latin America, but, um, most, uh, you know, governments have, have provided, um, a lot of, uh, aid to their economies and in most cases to their airlines as well. Um, airlines are, of course, uh, you know, they're critical economic engines and they, you know, facilitate a lot of other industries, um, including just tourism in general. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it is, there's, there's definitely debates about the, the proper role and the extent of, you know, aid to specific industries for sure. So the next couple of days, we'll get, you know, maybe a clearer picture of what, yeah. what Washington's, what Washington's going to do. Yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, so in the time, we, we don't have a lot of time left, Jay, but I wanted to, this seemed like a good place to just do a quick uh, U.S. industry overview. Uh, you know, uh, is, is Kirby right? I mean, are, 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 is demand as bad as, uh, as he said? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's bad. It's, you know, it, in general, you know, in the beginning, back in when the crisis first started, you know, March, April, there was a period where revenues were really close to zero. And, mm. you know, there was just very, very minimal flying. Um, and that started getting better um, in June, um, around June, you know, kind of kind of late spring, early summer. Um, it looked as if there was going to be um, a pretty healthy comeback. The momentum was was pretty good. Uh, and there are a few airlines that said they were even getting a spirit is one of them. They were even getting close to cash positive in June. Um, and then things just kind of fell off the cliff again, that, that peak summer, uh, 
you know, boom never really came. And it was simply because of, uh, you know, the virus got out of control in, in places like Florida and other other areas of the Sun Belt, Texas, California. So never, um, never happened. So, so the summer was really disappointing. And, you know, it's kind of continued mostly that way. Airlines have in general said that things have picked up a little bit in September, maybe late August into September. But of course, September is a very off peak period. I mean, September happens to be the, the slowest month of the year right. for Florida. Um, if I'm talking about Florida, you know, so much, if I'm mentioning that over and over again, it's for a reason. Um, when you have a situation where nobody's traveling for business and you're just traveling for leisure, well, Florida is just, it's the biggest leisure market in the U.S. It's giant. I mean, every airline pretty much has just a, you know, maybe not Hawaiian, but <laughs> Pretty much everybody else, Alaska, a little bit less so too, but even, even Alaska is flying from like Los Angeles to Fort Myers. So it's kind of, you know, everybody going to Florida and you're, you know, also you're, you're, you see Palm Springs and all the Phoenix, all these other leisure routes. Um, so these are important. And um, so that's a, that's a big deal. This is a slow time for that kind of thing. And of course, kids are back to school, even, right. even if they're going virtual, you know, it's, it's not an easy time to travel. People, some people are going back to the offices. So um, it's it's just an off-peak time. So the next big milestone period will be, or, or sort of the focus, um, Thanksgiving. You know, we'll see a lot of people go back and visit their families during Thanksgiving. That could be, you could get some decent demand. Um, and then, of course, the Christmas holidays. Then you start getting into another, you know, very weak period, January, February. But, you, but, but then comes Florida peak season again. Right. So... I don't think that, you know, from, from what people are saying, it doesn't sound like a vaccine is going to be widely distributed by, by then. Um, I think that's going to be, you know, more of a summer uh, development, if, if anything. But, um, but yeah, that's, people will be watching the Florida peak. We'll be watching, of course, you know, next summer peak. Um, there are a few markets uh, that are doing relatively well, still down a lot year over year, but if you take a Denver, for example, Salt Lake, some of these mountain markets, right. we, we, we did a feature story about that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're doing relatively well. The economies are holding up well. They have a lot of, remember that the tech sector is, is one area of the economy that's doing particularly well. Absolutely. Some of these Western places do have, yeah. Now, now Seattle is an interesting one. I don't want to go, you know, I know we're running out of time here, but um, this is something we've written about and please, you know, feel free to reach out. We'll we'll be talking about things like this at the Aviation Forum that we're hosting coming up as well. Um, But Seattle, I'll just mention briefly, is an interesting market because a lot of the Seattle area companies are doing doing very well during this pandemic. You know, you think of the Amazons and the Mm -hmm. Microsoft, Costco's, you know, everybody's eating at home. So, So, um, but it's also Seattle is a very international market. Interesting. Very global type. So you have, you know, the, the worst, the New Yorks, the Bostons, the Los Angeles, San Francisco, you, you, you're taking, you're, those are really hard hit because of the international component. Right. Whereas like a, a Salt Lake, a Denver, it, it, much less of that, you know, they're much more dependent on the message demand. And also Salt Lake and Denver both are, um, are gateways to national parks and to um, and in Salt Lake City's case and Denver to a degree, but also Denver is is a short drive to to mountain resorts. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah. And when mm-hmm. people when there's no when people aren't taking vacations abroad and only flying for leisure, those are those are two places. Yeah, you know, the national parks have seen um, seen 
more visitors this year and or seeing more visitors than they expected and um you know domestic travel is 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 a cruise to denver and salt lake's benefit yeah yeah i mean people want to be outdoors they want to be you know in the mountains where they can socially distance i mean some of the parks have, have, have gotten crowded from what i hear yeah. but uh, but that's certainly a um a place uh you know people maybe feel more comfortable going than, than a, you know a big dense city like new york or chicago so so yeah they've they've, they've you know done relatively well fort myers too you know florida um is a place where you see that's one of the best performing markets you know relative year year the declines have been not that steep um that was just a very very fast growing market even before the uh the pandemic and it's just a place where a lot of people have second homes it's uh you know just it's demographically it's a place a lot of you know the housing market is good in there and things like that so so florida there's there's pockets of florida they're still doing relatively well you know, Orlando is a little different because the theme parks are so big there and, you know, fewer people want to go to a theme park at times like these. So right. each, each market has its own, you know, characteristics. But um, interesting but yeah, about well, Seattle, for sure. I mean, that that's Seattle's that that was an interesting point. I hadn't realized uh, that. Uh, right, right. You kind of don't want to be an international market, but you do want to be a tech market. So, right. so Seattle's kind of straddles those two worlds. Very interesting. Well, on that note, Jay, let's. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us on the live stream again. Um, no questions. No, we got no questions this time. Um, but if anyone wants to ask a question and and uh, in the replay or follow up, reach me at mu at skiff .com. Go to airlineweekly.com, Check us out. We we uh, we're news every day on Air Airline Weekly Daily or AW Daily. I guess we're calling it. And uh, yeah, I uh, want to thank all of you for joining us um, from the, this episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge Live. Thank you and goodbye.